Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 14. John 14, our text begins at verse 15 and extends to the end of the chapter. As you're turning there, just to remind you, next week we'll begin our series like we do each December, looking at Christmas from a different place in God's Word. This year we're looking at Christmas in Isaiah. Um, If you look in your worship booklet, there's actually an announcement about that with most of the themes. I might switch up one of them, but by and large, that's where we're heading over the next several weeks in the month of December and the run-up to Christmas Day. So looking forward to that. But this morning, we finished John 14. We're here in the middle of what some call the upper room discourse, as Jesus is in this room that's up a set of stairs, hence an upper room, in the midst of the the longest block of teaching that you will find in John's gospel, uh, and having just given an antidote to the troubled hearts of his followers that he is going away, he doubles down. Um, They are still troubled. Uh, He tells them in verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled. Um, They're still troubled because he is going away. Uh, And so Jesus tells them, even though he's going away, he'll still be present with them. They'll still be able to have a real, vital, continued relationship with him. Well, how's that going to be possible? Well, he's going to tell us here in these verses, and through the work of the Holy Spirit especially. But in order to hear what Jesus has for us this morning, we do need the Spirit's help. So let's ask him for it. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do come desiring to hear from you. Indeed, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would come and your Spirit would use your word to stir our hearts, but above all, Lord, create in us a deep longing for a real, vital, continued relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Do this work in our hearts and lives, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will love him, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace 
I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So does anyone here remember that 1980s techno-pop band Depeche Mode? A few people, maybe. Uh, Depeche Mode uh, was a band that, at least between 1983 and 1989, had a number of hits. Um, Certainly cost me my Walkman, uh, because my parents, after going to a Bill Gothard thing, if you know that name, burned all my records. uh, And in my compliance with that desire to burn all my records, I immediately went out and got a Depeche Mode cassette and and listened to it in my Walkman until one day my dad caught me listening to Depeche Mode. uh, And that became the impetus for my father pulling me out of my public school and sending me to an independent Baptist fundamentalist Christian school. So be careful what you listen to, kids. But you might remember, if you go back to the 80s, that Depeche Mode had a song that they wrote that actually became a Billboard Top 100 hit uh, called Personal Jesus. It was from a soundtrack from a forgettable film, but the song caught on. It was written in response to the various televangelist scandals of the late 80s. And the song sarcastically mocked the idea that one could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And the chorus, so catchy, talked about your own personal Jesus, someone to hear your prayers, someone who cares. And the sense from the song was, was that clearly in our secular world, it was ridiculous to believe in such a thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. The televangelists were proof, after all, that what they were selling you in a personal relationship with Jesus was something they didn't really have because, after all, they pursued money, power, sex, and all the rest. Of course, the reason why that's interesting um, is that all too often we can fall into a kind of semi-secular mindset. Well, to be sure, we're here today because we've believed in Jesus at some point in our past, when we were 8 or 10 or 12 or in college, we, we believed in Jesus and we prayed the sinner's prayer and we began a relationship with Jesus. But truth be told, all too often we go through our lives and we really don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. This this faith that we committed ourselves to, it it doesn't seem to play out in our daily lives. And you hear the preacher talk about a a personal relationship with Jesus, and, and it doesn't seem to play out in real time. And we begin to wonder, is this all a fraud? This whole idea of having a real, vital, continued, personal relationship with Jesus, is it really all just just a fraud? This isn't an academic question. This is a profoundly existential one. It's it's one for us today to consider 
but it was also vital for the disciples in this place in the Bible. You see, Jesus has told the disciples, as we've seen now over several weeks, that he is going back to the Father. And he's going back to the Father by way of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. And it's brought great pain, anxiety, fear to these followers of Jesus. They feel abandoned. They're worried they're going to be alone. Peter himself will upbraid Jesus and say, I would even lay down my life for you. This can't be for certain. This can't be real. To which Jesus has to confront Peter about his own sin and folly. But the beginning of chapter 14, you remember, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That finds its bookend here in our passage we've read this morning in verse 27 at the end. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why does Jesus say this? Because he's going away. How is it possible for these disciples to continue to have a relationship with Jesus if he's absent from them? If he's, if he's far away from them, if he's returned to the Father. After all, that's what we confess, isn't it? As part of the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. If Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, how in the world can we here on earth have a real, vital, continued relationship with him? How's that possible? Aren't we left alone? Isn't he really absent? Haven't we been abandoned? It's a real concern. That's why Jesus says in verse 18, you see it there, I will not leave you as orphans. Why does he say that? It's because the disciples, and perhaps we might think, we are being left alone like orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Though I go away, Jesus says, I will come to you, not just in some distant future, but in the relatively near present. I will come to you now, but how's that possible? How is it possible if Jesus goes away that he might come to us? How might he be present to us? That's what this passage is trying to answer, because make no mistake, you, you've not put your trust in a foolish thing. You've not followed after a fraud right at the center of what Christianity is all about. Right at the center is a real, vital, continued, personal relationship with Jesus. That's what sustains our life in this world. And Jesus tells us here in this passage, there are three ingredients to that real, vital, continued, personal relationship with him. Three ingredients obeying, communing, and believing. Obeying, communing, and believing. And so first, Jesus tells us that obeying is an ingredient to a real, vital, continued, personal relationship with him. That's how the passage begins. In fact, three times in this section, Jesus says that that since we love him, we will keep his commandments. We'll keep his words. We will obey him. You see it? Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
And then opposite, verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So Jesus clearly tells us here that one ingredient to a real, vital, continued, personal relationship with Jesus is to obey him, is to keep his words. But listen, some of you might hear Jesus saying here, prove that you love me by keeping my commandments. In fact, if you keep my commandments, then I'll love you. And so you hear these words as performance, that a life of obedience and sacrifice is all geared toward demonstrating to God and to others how much you love him, and concomitantly is how you get God's love for you. Well, certainly there's an element of truth in the sense that our our obedience is evidence of the fact that we love But the problem with that approach is that with a performance mindset, we we end up turning relationship into requirement. And when relationship turns into requirement, love gets lost. Love gets lost. And something less than what Christ intends for us is the result. The author Jerry Bridges put it this way, duty without delight is drudgery. You see, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't laying requirement and duty upon us. What he's saying is, since you love me, because this is in fact the case, since you love me as I know you do, obey me. Keep my commandments. In other words, those who love Jesus are those who have been and will be loved by the Father. And in response, love the Father in return, love Jesus in return, and so keep his words. But make no mistake, those who love Jesus, those who have a real, vital relationship with Jesus, we do obey. We do keep his commandments. We do keep his words. We do follow his way, not to earn God's favor, but because we already have God's favor. And because we've already received the favor of God, we we return in love that which we've already received, and we follow, we obey. What does that look like? What does it it, it feel like? Well, I think the 16th century theologian, Pastor John Kelvin, helps us here. In his magisterial book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, he observed this, Christianity is not a doctrine of the tongue, but of life. It's not apprehended by the understanding and memory alone, as other disciplines are, but is received only when it possesses the whole soul and finds a seat and resting place in the inmost affections of the heart. It must enter our heart and pass into our daily living and so transform us into itself that it may not be unfruitful for us. Do you hear what he was saying? See, obeying Jesus looks like doing what he commands us to do in our daily lives. When we get up in the morning, and when we, when we get cleaned up, and when we go about our, our, get our breakfast, and we go out to work, or we go out shopping, or we interact with others, and all along our days, each day, we're mindful of what Jesus has taught, and what Jesus has said, and we, we comply with that. We, it works its way out in our daily living, but that can only happen when Jesus possesses our whole souls, our affections, our loves, our desires, our dreams. Don't you see, obeying 
is part of a personal relationship with Jesus, which is fueled by and is the result of communing. Friends, we we will only look like Jesus when we spend time with Jesus. And we will only obey Jesus when we delight in Jesus. And we will only delight in Jesus when we know how much he delights in us. And that can only happen as we commune with him. But how does that happen? Well, we commune and have a real transforming relationship with Jesus when we recognize his presence. His presence in us as well as with us. Did you see what Jesus said in verse 20? He said, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is telling us that in the same way that the Father and the Son mutually indwell one another, so that though they are two persons, yet they are still one God, So we dwell in Jesus, and more, Jesus dwells in us. Twice, we hear it, he is in you. How's that possible? How is it? Because Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand. We are here on earth. How is it possible for Jesus to be in the heavens, at the Father's right hand, and still be in us? How's that possible? Well, the bond between Jesus and us is the Holy Spirit. Jesus' own spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes with us and is in us. That's what Jesus tells us. See in verse 16? Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him... For he dwells with you and, get it, will be in you. So that, that word helper, that's, that's our friend, friendly word paraclete. The SV translates it helper. That's a little weak. The NIV has it as counselor. That's a little bit better. The word has legal aspects. Probably the best way of getting at it is the Holy Spirit is our advocate, He is always present to both encourage and to exhort, to advocate with us for the ways of God in our life. But notice, Jesus says that this helper is another helper. In other words, he's another helper like Jesus. In the same way that Jesus was present with his disciples to encourage and exhort them, to correct and empower them, so the Holy Spirit is as well. In fact, the helper, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in verse 26, is the one whom the Father will send in my name. So this is the way. As Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, and we are laboring here on earth, this is how we maintain our relationship with each other. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But don't miss it. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, Jesus by his Spirit is closer to you than together. God dwells in you. Is the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says of the Holy Spirit in verse 25, the Holy Spirit is how we, that is the Father and the Son, will come to you and make our home with you. Think about that. Friend, you take God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere you go. Every moment of the day. 
Whatever you see, whatever you do, whatever conversation you have, Jesus, through his spirit, is there with you because he's in you. He's bound together with you. The only way I can get my head around this is uh, is if you were to imagine someone with whom you've linked arms with and and they, they never let you go. And so from the moment you wake up in the morning, you've linked arms with this person and and you go and you get cleaned up in the shower and you put your clothes on. And you go and get your breakfast and you head out to work. And, and this person is still linked arms with you. And you pick up the phone and they can hear every part of the conversation because they're right there with you. And while you're on the internet, their arms linked with you. And they, they're seeing what you're doing as you're writing those emails or you're checking social media or whatever it is. And you go out shopping and you get your dinner or whatever it is. And that, that person's linked arms with you. That's, that's how close... Jesus is to you. In fact, he's closer than together with you because he dwells in you by the Spirit. Now, it would be super awkward if you had linked arms with another person. Like if I had linked arms with my wife and spent all day with her all day doing all kinds of things and I never talked to her. I just ignored her. Even though I've linked arms with her. She's linked arms with me and I can't get rid of her, right? She can't get rid of me. But I just ignore her. That would be super weird, wouldn't it? How much stranger is it that God the Holy Spirit actually dwells in you and is with you wherever you go and you don't ever talk to him and you don't ever listen to him? That's super weird, isn't it? You see, Jesus desires a real, vital, continued personal relationship with you. And he's made it possible to unite things that are separated, if you will, by distance because his his own spirit dwells in you, is closer than together with you. And Jesus actually makes us a promise, namely that you won't forget about Jesus. and You won't forget about his commands and his words and his teaching because his spirit is right there with you to remind you. Verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have sent to you. Now, especially for the apostles, that's a particular promise um, by which, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, they were able to write the Gospels. But I think it's appropriate for us to see this as our promise also. Because here's the deal. When you are afraid... The Holy Spirit is present with you to remind you of what what Jesus has said and what God's word tells you. Do not be afraid. I am with you. As you go through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. As you walk through the fires, they will not burn you. Why? You are mine. Or when you're sick, the Holy Spirit reminds you of God's word, that the Lord is your healer. So forget not all his benefits, one of them being who heals all your diseases. You can trust in him. And the Holy Spirit reminds you of these things. Or when you are tempted, the Holy Spirit reminds you that that this temptation, this trial is not more than you can bear. You're not being tried in a way that's different from other brothers and sisters around the world. But in the midst of the trial, the Lord will make a way of escape because he is faithful. Or when you're tempted, or excuse me, when you're angry and you want retaliation against that person, the Holy Spirit's there to remind you, turn the other cheek. When you're persecuted, bless When you're opposed, pray. The Lord is the avenger. Don't take your own vengeance. Or when you lust and your your desires are all disordered, Jesus reminds you to pluck out the aisle and and cut off the hand. 
The Holy Spirit tells you it's better to go into heaven maimed than to go to hell whole. Over and over again, whatever the situation is, the Spirit brings Jesus' words to mind so that you might obey, so that you might have your life transformed, so that you might know Him, have a real vital relationship with Him. That's not you remembering. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you because He's closer than together with you. And this is the way Jesus' own presence as you commune with him and you remember his word, this is the way you know peace. Jesus says, most famously in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This peace is the Old Testament word shalom. The word for wholeness or healing or flourishing, well-being. For in the Old Testament, God's peace is, is prominent. Uh, even in the face of our fears, though. Even in the face of our anxieties, our sense of aloneness, abandonment. Could it be that we be orphans? Jesus says, no, I'm giving you my peace. Well, how is Jesus giving you his peace? Is it simply a sense of just ineffable stillness? Is that what Jesus' peace is? No. Jesus' peace that's different from the peace that the world gives is his spirit. Remember the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy. What's next? Peace. And this peace that passes all understanding, that guards your hearts and minds, where does that come from? In Christ Jesus. Well, how does Christ Jesus give us this peace that passes all understanding? His spirit. You see, as we live in relationship with Jesus by his spirit, as we walk in step with the spirit, as we obey Jesus's words, as we obey Jesus's commands, as they come to mind, we know what? We know peace. We know wholeness and flourishing. We know well-being. This is peace that's utterly different from what the world might know. This is what a personal relationship with Jesus looks like. It looks like obeying his words, yes? And as we obey, we know that we obey because there's, there's, there's an, a power that enables us to do so, one that dwells in us, one with which we commune. So obeying, communing, but finally believing. Believing is the final ingredient in a personal relationship with Jesus. And again, believing here is believing all that Jesus is and all that Jesus is for us. Remember, John wrote this gospel so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and by believing, might have life in his name. And here at the end of this passage, Jesus reminds us that's why he's telling us all these things, is so that we might, in fact, believe. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, you heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Here it is, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now that happens in the Old Testament also. In Exodus, for example, God tells both the Israelites and the Egyptians through Moses what's going to happen. And he says, I'm telling you these things in advance so that you might know that I am the Lord and you might believe what I am. He says the same thing in Isaiah, 
in Isaiah 45 and beyond when the prophet Isaiah tells his people about this guy named Cyrus who will show up 200 years later to deliver God's people from exile. God says specifically there, I'm telling you these things in advance so that you might know and believe that I am the one true God. Jesus is saying the same thing here. He said, I'm telling you these things, that I'm going back to the Father through the cross, through the empty tomb, by way of the ascension. Why? So that you might know. So that you might believe. Because in the end, Jesus wants us to believe him and to believe in him. That's how the chapter begins. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus wants us to rest our hearts in him. Jesus wants us to receive all that he is for us. And that's right at the heart of what it means to have a real, vital, continued, personal relationship with him. It involves obeying, yes, communing, but also believing. That's what Jesus wants for you, such a relationship. So do you. Do you want that kind of relationship? Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking if you believed in Jesus at some point in the past, whether you were 8 or 10 or 12 or 16 or 21. I'm not asking if you prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm not asking if you've joined a church or this church. What I'm actually asking you is do you have a real, vital, continued, personal relationship with Jesus? If not, why not? Why not? Has it been a while? Has it been a while? It's not, not because he's moved. Remember, he, God, the Holy Spirit, actually dwells in you. He's closer than together with you. He's linked arms with you. Everywhere you are, everywhere you go, he's there. Not his fault. What will it take for you to actually talk to him today? Say, Jesus, I'm tired of this. Of claiming I believe in you, but I don't have a real relationship with you. I'm tired of this. Your word tells me that, that this is what you want from me. So Lord, please, today, won't you, won't you do this for me? Can't we be in relationship with one another? Jesus wants that for you. He wants to breathe upon you the breath of life. He wants the Holy Spirit to renew this relationship with you. Do you want it? Will you call out to him? Today? Now? Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do desire just this thing. A real, vital, continued relationship with you. Lord, forgive us for being satisfied with going through the motions. Forgive us for being satisfied with a kind of mediocrity, a kind of half-heartedness in our relationship with you. No spouse here would tolerate such a relationship. No best friend would tolerate such a relationship. Lord, forgive us for thinking that you do. We do ask you in the words of this song we're going to sing to breathe upon us, O breath of God. Create in us a hunger and a longing for this kind of real relationship with you. Do your work, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnals then and turn to number 3,000.